Hello? Hi everyone. Uh, we are picking up where we left off this morning uh, with Job chapter 28. Oh, there, there it is. Job chapter 28. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to navigate through your word, to understand what it says, and to apply everything into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Job chapter 28. There is a mine for silver in the place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth, and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to the darkness. He searches the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from where people dwell, he cuts a shaft in places forgotten by the foot of man. Far from men, he dangles and sways the earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Yeah, uh, sapphires come from its rocks and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it, set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. Man's hand assaults the flinty rock and lays bare the roots of the mountains. He tunnels through the rock. His eyes see all its treasures. He searches the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Man does not comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep say it's not in me. The sea says it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or sapphires. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens when he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm. Then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to man, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. So there's this search for wisdom. It begins with this search for treasure. You know, we mine this treasure and we build shafts and this, it's this big operation it's inaccessible it's far from where people dwell he cuts into the shaft verse 4 in places forgotten by photo man it's this big industry of searching out of finding this new treasure that you know beasts you know animals can't find them verse 7 no birds of prey no falcons i know proud beasts it's just man using his ingenuity to find these rocks, he digs into it first, and he tunnels through it his eyes, and then sees all its treasures. He searches, you know, in our rivers, and he brings it to light. So he digs it out, and these things that are hidden, he mines it, he brings it out. 
but he can't do the same thing with wisdom verse 12 where can it be found where can understanding dwell you know we don't understand it we don't even realize its worth it cannot be found in the land of the living <laughs> it's it's not a thing you know the deep the sea they said it's not here not here not with me not in me it cannot be bought its price cannot be weighed with silver you can't pay for it uh, despite you know going to Cambridge or paying all the money that you can to get that degree. It's not something that you can pay someone to give you this wisdom and this deep understanding. And finally, it can only come from God. Verse 20, where then? You know, all these options are exhausted. Where then? This wisdom come from where there's understanding dwell. It is hidden from everything, from every living thing, every bird, even destruction and death. You know, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. You know, nothing else, all these huge cosmic forces do not store wisdom, but only God, verse 23, only God understands the way of it, and he alone knows where it dwells. You can't just find it. You can't work your way towards it. You can't discover it like treasure, and you can't buy it with all the treasure that you have. Only God has it. He has this perspective, verse 24, he views the ends of the earth. He sees everything under the heavens. It's almost as if God's perspective, God's way of seeing things, that's what the Bible refers to as wisdom. How does God view this situation, this problem, that from our perspective, we cannot comprehend? God sees everything and understands everything. He established the forces of the wind, measured out the waters. He made the decree for the rain, the path of the thunderstorm. It's a function of God being God, having created everything, having sustained everything, made the decree for the rain. Then he looked at wisdom and he appraised it. He confirmed it. He tested it. And then he said to man, here is God revealing wisdom to man, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to shun evil, that is understanding. It's good, isn't it? I mean, it's just being able to see things from God's perspective. And even that needs to be revealed by God so that we can understand and fear God and know that who He is, He is God, not us. It's that fear that's the beginning of wisdom. And it's therefore doing what God says, shunning evil, turning away from everything that isn't God, injustice, wickedness. That's understanding. That's the application, I guess, of wisdom. So, yeah, Job 28. That was good. Short. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 14. I'm just keeping an eye on the clock because I have an appointment at 4.30. I think we can do the second chapter. Let's squeeze that in. 1 Corinthians 14. Oh, okay. So this is a hefty chapter. Let's do it anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but would rather have you 
prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds? Such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak unintelligible words with your tongue. How will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say, "Amen" to your thanksgiving? Since he does not know what you're saying, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, though through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in a tongue, and some who Do not understand, or some unbelievers come in. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, "God is really among you." What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control 
of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregation of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches they are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If you want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Okay, well, how are we doing for time? Let's see, it is now oh, okay. I don't think I have time to go through this whole chapter. Maybe just as well. It's so controversial. Maybe just the first couple of paragraphs. So it begins by speaking to the church to and encouraging them, encouraging them. You know, in terms of gifts, you know, desired, desired the eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Wait, wait a minute. You know, um, earlier on he was saying. You know, desire love, you know, desire building up one another, not just using gifts as a platform. But here he says, you know, gifts can build up the church and therefore you should eagerly desire the speaking gifts, the gifts that actually build up the church. Um, yeah, so follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And he compares prophecy to tongues. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. In contrast, so the person is speaking in tongues, and here tongues, um, some will say it's speaking in a different language. More likely, it's in a language that cannot be understood. And he's speaking, therefore, as a kind of prayer. It's to God. It's from him. It's an expression of praise and prayer. But no one understands what he's saying. That's what verse 2 says. In contrast, prophecy. Verse 3, but everyone who prophesies, he's speaking to men, so it's speaking to other people, for their strengthening, for their encouragement, for their comfort. So comparing again between the two, you know, the tongue, it's for his benefit, you know, speaking to God. The prophecy is spoken to one another. You know, to encourage them, to build them up, to comfort them. And that's why he says, choose prophecy over tongues. Verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So there's this one-to-many serving through this building up. This That's what edify means. It's strengthening, it's building up. It's just building the church. In fact, this is the way in which the church grows and deepens in its knowledge of God through hearing and through receiving prophecy. I would like every man, every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. So he's not saying that tongues are bad. You know, you would like all of them to be able to do this. But there is a special place and purpose for prophecy that he says, therefore, desire this instead. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. And I think he talks about this later on. You know, you can speak in tongues, but um, in church, only if it can be understood. Otherwise, just do it privately. Um, already, you know, there's almost 
every possible kind of <laughs> offense at reading this. You know, if you uh, don't believe in tongues, um, you're going to be offended by this. Um, and there is a line of thought called cessationism, uh, whereby it ceased, it stopped. And that does make sense because generally speaking, you do not see this. It's not observable amongst all Christians or even most Christians. Um, and the moment I say that, other people will be, uh, will be offended because it says, yes, it is in my church, in this place, in, according to this statistic and that. And then even prophecy, you know, um, some would argue that it's speaking forth God's word, that teaching, you know, what I'm doing now, that would be considered prophecy, whereas others would consider it prophecy as in, in the Old Testament, but with a small P, that means it's not foretelling you know god's word because the fullness of god's word is now revealed in jesus and now in the new testament and by his spirit to his people there's not that kind of function big p prophecy that needs to reveal to us something we didn't know before but now this is prophecy with a small p a specific situation where god has given you that specific thing to say to a brother or sister in christ so even then you know people will disagree about this and that but the general idea is that the gift that builds up the church is the gift that, you know, that is better, you know, that we should desire, that we should encourage. Because at the end of the day, it's not the gift, it's the church, it's not you, it's others who will benefit from this gift that God has given you. Do we have enough time to say more? Um, I think maybe not. Uh, yeah, I think I have to, to stop here. I have a, another call, but very controversial. Uh, yeah, the, the comparison and the the idea, the, the main thrust of choosing, you know, how you use your gift, you know, many of them have these gifts in the church, is for the good of the church and it's for this orderliness in the church. That's why he goes on to talk about women, you know, possibly wives again. Is it talking about just wives who should ask their husbands or generally women who shouldn't be speaking and teaching publicly in the church? But again, it's talking about that orderliness in the church, that there isn't disorder but there is a clarity as to what is being said and what is being taught. He even brings in unbelievers. You know, verse 22, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy is for believers. How does that work? You know, that tongues can actually be a sign for unbelievers. Someone walks into your church and he actually gives that scenario. Verse 23, the whole church come together. Everyone speaks in tongues. Some do not understand. Some unbelievers come in, say, you're out of your mind. And so they, they leave the church. You know, what's this? You know, this is so incomprehensible and it turns them away. Or rather, maybe it's not just that it turns them away in a negative way, but it's a sign of judgment. Therefore, it's almost as if God is withholding, you know, the gospel from them. But on the other hand, how then is prophecy a sign for the believer? Verse 24, but if an unbeliever, someone who does not understand comes in, while well, everybody is prophesying, means speaking something from God or even the gospel in a way that is understandable, he will be convinced that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. And so he will fall down. He'll worship God saying God really is among you so th this understanding causes him to understand the gospel to acknowledge god to repent of his sin to acknowledge that he is a sinner and say that this is really god's doing god is among you 
So again, the underlying principle is this understandability of God's word, especially, especially when you come together as God's people. And that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you for listening. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us clarity in your word and help us to be especially clear and wanting to be, you know, displaying your glory and your word in our gatherings together. Help this to happen in our Bible studies, when we look at your word, in our gatherings as a church, when you hear your word preached. And Lord, and to whatever extent that we are able to use our gifts, help it to be with this end in mind, that we will build one another, we will love one another, that the body of Christ will be built up and all glory will go to him alone. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Gotta go. All right. See you. Bye. Take care. God bless.